Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins, and it's great to have your company. Thanks again to all my Patreon sponsors for helping keep the show going. You can sponsor me by visiting patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins. It's been a sad week in Australia. Two of our most cherished performers, Judith Durham and Olivia Newton-John, have passed away. Judith was in her late 70s. She was the lead singer of a group called The Seekers, a band that formed in Melbourne and played in coffee shops in a vague likeness to the Greenwich Village folk scene that produced people like Bob Dylan. The Seekers went on to have three number one hits in the UK and actually knocked the Beatles off number one. The band broke up in 1968 and then later reformed and their tour of Australia in the 1990s was one of the most successful tours in our country's history. Their songs were the songs of my childhood. The ABC, that's our public broadcaster, would each week dedicate an hour of its broadcast to play songs for children. Your teacher, in my case the nuns of the St Joseph's Order, would hand out books of lyrics. The book, in my case, was called Sing, Sing, Sing. The host of the program would introduce the songs and everyone in class would sing along. And I remember the Seekers singing Morningtown Ride... Never find another you. I still need you there beside me, no matter what I do, for I know I'll never find another you. There is always someone. And Georgie Girl. There, Georgie Girl, swinging down the street so fancy free. Nobody you meet could ever see the loneliness there inside you. Hey there, Georgie girl, why do all the boys... I can picture precisely the classroom and the red dirt peeking through the grass in the well-worn patches under the swings in the playground. Marching. We used to march. I'm not exactly sure what the point of it was, but we used to march. You'd march on the spot for a moment or two as the song warmed up. Marching in formation around the perimeter of the playground, the music piping out of old Toa speakers. Ah, primary school, and if you were really good, you got to ring the bell. So I learned those Seekers songs 50 years ago, and I still sing them today. The Seekers hold a very special place in the psyche of Australians. And I saw it firsthand last year. I was Booked to perform at Sydney Airport, it was the first day interstate flights were arriving in Sydney in the wake of the pandemic. Sydney Airport wanted a big song and dance to welcome the first passengers. So my friend Ted and I played. He played banjo and I played acoustic guitar. We played songs for the people gathered at the gate waiting to board. And then when the plane arrived, 
for the people disembarking. It was a big deal. I was on the news on TV and there were cameras for all the big TV networks. And I, of course, knew some of the journalists, one of whom was and is a very big name in Australian media. And Ted and I were playing the seekers. I'll never find another you. And these two media gurus that were there were openly weeping. They were crying. I went over to them later to say hello. And they both said, oh, Dan, you really got us going there. I think it was the Seekers. And I said, yeah, you know, it's funny. I play that song at every gig I do. And it does make people cry. It's just one of those songs. And Judith Durham and Olivia Newton-John were just those very special performers. We loved them. They'll be sorely missed. A song can take you places. The Lebanese-American writer, poet and artist Khalil Gibran once said, Music is the language of the spirit. It opens the secret of life, bringing peace, abolishing strife. So much of our lives is tied to the notion of motion. We need to hustle, we need to think, we need to overthink. So much stress and so little time to sit and listen to what thrills and soothes us. Finding peace is just so difficult in 2022, and it will continue to challenge us while we remain in a state of constant searching. So what if there was a way to take back control of your life? I first interviewed Karen Kaiser on the podcast almost a year ago. I think it's episode 229. Karen is the founder of Radical Simplicity and author of the international bestseller, Lighten Your Load. We talked about how to clear a path for our best selves to shine through. Karen has also written the Camino books, Your Inner Camino, Your Pocket Guide to Inspiration and Transformation along the Camino de Santiago, and After the Camino, Your Pocket Guide to Integrating the Camino de Santiago into Your Daily Life. Her latest book is Unplug Your Robot, The Secret to Lasting Happiness. Karen Kaiser is on the line. Welcome, Pilgrim. Hi, Dan. It's so great to speak with you again. You first walked the Camino Frances in 2011, and you've been on and off the Camino ever since as a pilgrim, as a hospitaliera, as a volunteer. Have you been back post-COVID? I have not, but it's definitely on the radar. I'm toying with the idea for this this fall, but maybe September, October, but I haven't committed. <laughs> we wanted to talk this, this time around uh, about your new book, Unplug Your Robot, uh, because we spoke about the Camino... Last time we spoke, which was episode 229, just not quite a year ago, actually. Uh-huh. And the subtitle of the book is The Secret to Lasting Happiness. So my first question is, how important is happiness? Oh, I think it's it's very important. I mean, if not for happiness, what? why are we doing anything, really? Um, and, and I think it's kind of important to distinguish between happiness, pleasure, maybe joy and bliss. And we kind of throw those words around a lot. And, and pleasure is sort of just the momentary things that we can throw you know, throughout our days. But happiness tends to come a lot, a lot of people would say, from sort of the mental realm. So a lot of it has to do with deciding, that, deciding to be happy and deciding that happiness is even, port, even important. Yeah. And then... Yeah, beyond happiness, then you get into sort of the joy, which is more about um, more about fulfillment and meaning and purpose. 
Um, but having it is absolutely doable for everyone. And you say in the book that optimism, joy and wonder are possible. So I love the aspect of the book that focuses on, on empowerment. And mm-hmm. when I read that line that optimism, joy and wonder are possible, it seems to me that I need to be empowered to truly believe that. Right. Let me ask you a simple question to start with. How much should we rely on others for our happiness? I would say zero. <laughs> right. <laughs> which is which is very contrary to what the common belief is because we tend to think that happiness it has mostly to do with our external circumstances. So our job, our, our income, our family, our friends. But studies have shown over and over that really only 10% of our happiness is derived from our external circumstances. And the other 90% is how we respond to those circumstances. So how we react, how we think about them, how we respond, and the meaning that we apply to those circumstances. Um, Some would even say that we have sort of a a preset kind of happiness set point. But even that you you can change over time by changing your habits and changing the way you think. Yeah, and that starts with the robot. Tell us about our robot. Okay, so the robot has several components. And the first one is um, what I call unconscious routine and automatic habits. So like being able to drive your car and at the same time you can mentally plan out your day or brushing your teeth, putting on a shirt. You typically do that the same way every time. So that's the routine and the habits. Another part of the robot is our mind that gives us a nonstop commentary 24-7 about everything and nothing in particular. So that's also part of the robot. And then another component includes external influences and programming. And really anything that comes after the word, sh- after the word should. So the shoulds that we put on ourselves, the shoulds that we get from our family, our friends, our bosses, our society. And so when the robot's running our day, basically we're on autopilot going through the motions. And that means we're disconnected from the part of ourselves who's naturally happy and energetic and peaceful. And well, I'll give you an example. So the real you is fully present in this moment. And it's not thinking about the past or projecting into the future. The real you is already connected with nature and kindness and compassion and love. And it always has been. But over time, as we grow up, we pile on top of ourselves. And most of this is not, um, we, we don't even realize that we're doing this. We pile on top of ourselves a bunch of stuff that isn't really us, like childhood conditioning, limiting beliefs, the various roles we play, like sister, employee, Australian, conservative, conservative, or like the good son. Those are the roles that we take on. And it goes on and on. And then we even pile on more things from what I call mainstream society or the machine. And that usually has to do with media and um, institutions that are constantly telling us how to think and what to buy. So all of that together is what I call the robot, which really means it's all the not you that we've taken on and allowed to drown out our true nature and, and our innate really our innate intelligence and our innate knowing. Wow, that's really powerful stuff. You mentioned in the course of that answer, Karen, 
all those things that come after should. Just yes. explain what you meant by that. So we often speak and think in terms of should, should and ought to and have to. Like I, I should go to the dentist twice a year. I should spend more time doing X, Y, or Z. And all of those are just self-created expectations, either on ourselves or expectations that other people or society puts on us and that we sort of take on and internalize and that creates stress because it's not coming from our intuitive guidance. It's coming from the expectations and the desires of everything outside of us. And usually the shoulds that we even put on ourselves are directly related to what other people want. And so there's really nothing good coming out after a should. Yeah. So even if there's something that you think you should do or you, you feel it's an obligation, you can change the energy around that by changing it to I choose to. Because you are, because you are choosing to do it regardless. Yeah. But when you put a shoot on it, then it all automatically puts you sort of in a victim space that, you know, I don't have any control over my own life. Hmm, wow. You write about waking up feeling anxious. That's the robot. What's something I can do to avoid waking up feeling anxious, a sense of anxiety? One thing I like to do is, bef- is to take care of that before I even go to bed. So what I used to do was get into bed and then start mulling over everything that went wrong in the day. Or I would, I would somehow think that that's a good time to start planning the next day, which does not lead to restful sleep. And then you're, it's very hard to turn your mind off when you do that. And so what I do now is I, even maybe an hour before bed, I, I kind of do sort of a mental or mental and emotional like day review. And so going through the day and, you know, what worked, what didn't work or, or, really now just focus on what went well during the day or what I'm grateful for that I actually take into right before I go to bed. I'll think of those things, what I'm grateful for or something I'm excited about. And so I try to end the day at night with something positive and affirming. So I'm not churning over those things at night. So what, what happens often is that if we go to bed with sort of unfinished emotional business from the day, that's where we get those strange dreams because our subconscious mind is really going to try to work that out while we're sleeping because we didn't deal with it during the day. Mm. And so that often leads to, you know, unrestful sleep, weird dreams. And then you wake up kind of feeling like you just were in a boxing match. And so I taught, yeah, I try to take care of all that stuff at night. One of the reasons I began the podcast talking about my childhood is you write about childhood in the book and, You say, do you remember when every day was a new adventure and you loved trying new things? And you write, as we get older, we lose that palpable sense of awe, enthusiasm and curiosity. Is it difficult to get that back? Well, I think the Camino is certainly one way. Yeah. Yeah, at least it was for me. It's, It's by putting yourself in an unfamiliar environment where you have to step away from your routines and obligations you can see things with fresh eyes, and especially on the Camino when there there isn't sort of apart the schedule of just kind of walking. You can really do whatever you want. And because the journey for most people is just one way to Santiago, I mean, most of us are not turning around and walking back. Every moment is new. So if you really pay attention, 
and use all of your senses, you can be like that five-year-old because you're never going to pass any of those things again, even if you end up doing the Camino later. Like in that moment, every second is new. And so it's, yeah, it's really just a, a great opportunity to recapture that sort of awe and wonder. But I even do that in my day-to-day now. So if something's not going well, I'm stuck kind of in a mental problem, then I just kind of remind myself to wait, you know, kind of zoom out and look at it as a five-year-old or as a detective. Some people, you know, maybe the five-year-old doesn't resonate with, with, with everyone. But if you can look at your life through this life or this day is a mystery, and I'm going to put my detective hat on, and I'm going to try to solve this mystery of whatever is being presented today. It puts a little more lightheartedness and more fun and exploration into it. The self-test I found fascinating. Karen, it's it's a series of questions, multiple choice, and then you sort of tally up a score at the end to give you a sense of where you might be in your life and perhaps what needs work and what needs to be explored more. How much research did you have to do to sort of put all of those the self-test together, put all of those ideas and concepts into a sort of into a framework? Yeah, it took quite a while because I wanted to make sure that I touched on all the different components of of the robot kind of equally. Um, Yeah, I find, well, everyone likes a good quiz (laughs) and I find it helpful, (laughs) especially in in the beginning of the book to really sort of engage the reader with that so they can see themselves in the material. But yeah, it did take quite a while to put that together and sort of weigh each question and each answer so it wasn't obvious because a lot of questions are a lot of times quizzes are a bit formulaic and you can kind of figure out what the right answer is. But yeah. here there is no right answer. It's just a matter of determining how much of your robot is running you. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it could be a little, it could be a lot, but you really don't want it to be much. So in, regardless of your score, there's something for everyone in the book. Yeah. Tell us about dare to be aware. Um, so dare to be aware is sort of this series under which I, I publish my non Camino book. So my first one was Lighten Your Load, and the second one was Free and Clear. Um, Yeah, it's always been sort of part of my overall theme is to expand global global consciousness and to expand awareness. And I think if all you know, all my books can kind of be boiled down to that to that one concept of awareness. So when we're aware of our thoughts, then we can change them. When we're aware of how we're speaking, then then you can upgrade basically any aspect of your life just through awareness. And most people go through life, you know, myself included before, generally unaware of, of most things. It's just really easy to sort of get caught up in the day-to-day, the, the routines and, and, you know, the things that we do automatically, the things we think we need, we should do. And it doesn't require a lot of awareness for that. Yeah, wow. Okay, so we're unplugging the robot, Karen. We're empowering ourselves to change our reality for the better. How, though, do I disconnect from my past? Oh, that's a tough one. (laughs) That's a tough one. But So there are several ways to go about this. One example I give in the book is, and, and in some of my other books, is to let go of some of your stories which is hard to do because a lot of people 
sort of define themselves with their stories. Mm. And then we all know those people, great grandparents or grandparents, that that's all they do is tell stories of their past as if their life were already over and they're just retelling the stories. But the way I see it, I mean, the past is only relevant in that it got you here to this moment because all that, all that there really is is this moment that you're in. And so to kind of keep going over the past, it, it stifles growth in a way because you, you're still putting yourself in that prior framework. And the more you tell a, this, a same story, then the more that that's sort of ingrained in your body and in your field. And it really sort of limits the amount of new things and new experiences that could come into your life. Wow. See, when you write in the book about TV programs, and it really resonated with me, you, you, you said they're called programs because that's basically what they do. They program you. And then you, a little bit further on, you write about conditioning. And you say that we need to unplug from our conditioning. Is that also part of my release from the past? It's partially because what I mean by conditioning is that um, you know, the science has, has shown that before about seven years of old, seven years of age, our subconscious mind is really what's working and it's absorbing everything in our environment. So it's taking everything in unquestioned, unfiltered, basically by observing the behavior of those around us. So everything we've ever seen, thought, heard, felt, experienced, all of that from day one is stored in our subconscious mind. And it's really not until age around six or seven that our conscious mind develops. And then we start with the ability to sort of filter and sort of critical thinking and all that. And so the conditioning is really everything we've picked up from that sort of zero to six or seven years old. And a lot of those, you know, by the behavior of our parents and our relatives and, you know, our families and neighbors, we probably wouldn't have, if we were consciously aware and knew of all the different alternatives, we probably wouldn't have picked up a lot of the beliefs that we did just by observing those behaviors. And so we end up with beliefs that we don't even know that we have as beliefs, but just by looking around at your current circumstances, it's one way to get a sense of what you believe. And so conditioning, it does have an impact and it does, it does influence the stories that we tell later. I guess this is where you mentioned earlier before about the Camino and getting that, that sense of, of excitement and fun. And it's also about awe and wonder and inspiration as well. The Camino is just such a great place to go and rejuvenate and, and, and regenerate that aspect of our souls in a way. But uh -huh. when I get home then, Karen, I'm back in the traffic, I'm back at the supermarket, I'm back in my old job, I'm back in the same routines. A lot of us are listening to this today thinking, oh, I wish I could just live like um, I feel like on the Camino every day. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really what you're about, isn't it? This book is about being as close to your best self like you are on the Camino every day, mm -hmm. despite the challenges and the routines and everything that is thrown at you every day. Right. And a lot of that is about make you have to make space for that. So what happens often, you know, even when we come back from the Camino is that it's very tempting to sort of jump back into your previous 
whatever, your previous roles and relationships and your habits and your routines. It's very tempting to do that. But um, most of us also come back with the realization that, hey, I was perfectly happy with everything that I needed on my back. And then we get back home and we see all of our stuff and our possessions and it can seem overwhelming and almost excessive what we have. And so it's common when you come back from the Camino to sort of start purging some of that stuff and really make room in your life for this new person that you are post Camino. So that same sort of attitude can be, can be had, you know, years after your Camino, you can do that at any time, make space. And I don't just mean physical things. You make space in your mind. You make space in your environment. So, yeah, like what are you feeding your mind? So how much TV did you watch on the Camino? Probably not too much. But as sort of the years creep on, you know, after the Camino, maybe you're back into the habit of watching a couple hours of TV a day or, or sitting for six hours at a time, which, are, you know, our bodies aren't designed to do that. And so kind of it creeps in over time and next thing you know you're back to um yeah you're back into the grind as it were and so making space in your in your habits in your mind in um and just getting outside as most as much as possible which is what i do i mean and whenever i can i'm outside even i wrote most of my books while i was walking um so it, it can be done but you have to make space for it yeah yeah, I was fascinated the piece that you wrote about they, T H E Y, they. Tell us about that. Yeah. The, the, they say, uh, it was, to me, it's a bit infuriating when, when um, you hear somebody tell you something, you're like, oh, well, you know, where did you hear, you know, where did you hear that? Or how do you know that? And well, they say that X, Y, Z. Yeah. And so, you know, that they say, just by virtue of someone saying that, in our society, that some that somehow lends it some credibility, even though they say it could have just been some random person on the internet. So, I mean, they say it doesn't mean anything. It just means, yeah, it has no meaning, any, really. <laughs> but we say it a lot. And so that's the other thing with awareness is that when you realize, if you, if you pay attention to how you speak and how others speak, and it's really fascinating if you're just sort of as if you were just to plop down on the planet and you're observing humans and you're observing yourself, how we speak, it's, it's quite fascinating. Yeah. And you realize, yeah, wait a minute. They say, what does that even mean? Yeah, that's true. I never thought about it. I was fascinated when I read it in the book and you write about the mind and how many of us have given control of our minds to the subconscious and that's simply not healthy. And so then you go on to say, you think about in- installing new beliefs now, it might be, as you said earlier, uh, that when you were little, you were told you, you were never going to be any good at something, or a teacher might have told you you're never going to amount to anything, or someone might have told you you'll never be a star, you'll never do whatever. But you're about installing new beliefs, and you're never too old to do it. That's right, yeah. But first you have to re- identify what, what the beliefs that limit you. So you may, because if you just start with the beliefs that you want, you you may not realize that you have a conflicting belief with that, that you're not aware of. Yeah. So the first step is to identify what limits you. And um, 
the way to do that is just to look around at your circumstances. And that is a mirror for what you believe. So if you are wanting more money, for example, you have financial issues, then that's a key indicator that you have some kind of limiting belief about abundance or about lack or scarcity. And so that's one place to look. You know, if you have problems with your relationships, then you might look to whatever was modeled for you in childhood or what you remember hearing your parents say over and over, um, even about finances, like money doesn't grow on trees, those kind of things. Like if you just think back to childhood on the things that were repeatedly said to you, yeah, that you may have limiting beliefs around that. So that's the first step is to and identify a limiting belief. And then the second step to, before you would change that programming is just to introduce doubt. So the second step, you know, just to, to take, Something um, like, I, I deserve to be wealthy, for example, um, or any belief, really. So you want to, or I don't deserve to be wealthy, or I don't deserve whatever. Hmm. So you want to introduce doubt about that and find an instance where that isn't true. Because we tend to ha- make these grand statements as if something is always true, and there's really no, no such thing as always and never. So you could always find an an example of where that's not true. And the minute you introduce a doubt into one of those limiting beliefs, then you've sort of opened the door to a new possibility. So once you've done that, then you can decide what you prefer, a belief that you'd like to install, and then you can change that programming for yourself. And that typically involves using both parts of your brain. Um, So you can do things with your non-dominant hand. You could, um, you could, say sort of a positive affirmation. Uh, they have different different strategies, and I talk about a couple of them in the book about how you would change your programming, but it basically comes down to using all of your senses while you're doing it. So even if you identify a belief that you want to install, um, you would want to introduce that belief into your life as most as, in many ways as possible. So write it down as an affirmation, say it to yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah carried around with you, have a go-to thing in mind when you want to think the other thing. And so you can kind of reprogram yourself with repetition to install a new belief. Yeah, I love that one of the suggestions was to carry a small stone in your pocket. Yes. <laughs> I love that. I, I did, I've done a lot of walking with a stone in my pocket, funnily enough. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so when I think about what I might like to eventually believe and and perhaps um, re- relieve myself of some of the beliefs that aren't perhaps quite so healthy. How much should I rely on my intuition? Because you write a lot about intuition in the book. Uh-huh. Oh, intuition is key. Yeah, because uh, intuition is your internal guidance system and it is far more reliable than anything your mind can create. But unfortunately, most of us don't have a thriving relationship with our intuition because our schooling system in most parts of the world um, stresses the left brain dominance and the, the analytical thinking to the expense of our right brain, which is the more creative, intuitive, emotional side. And so the first step there is really just to develop a relationship with your intuition and to try to discern how it even speaks to you. you know, a lot of us get these sort of gut hunches every now and then or you may walk into a room and it just feels off or you meet somebody and within three seconds you already know if you're going to like or dislike that person or whether your energy sort of resonates with them so 
on some level we're using our intuition at all times, but not all of us are aware that that's happening or actively have developed a relationship with our intuition to where we can just call on it at will for guidance instead of these sort of one-off things. Um, so yeah, that for that you would you would have to determine how your intuition speaks to you. And again, that comes back to paying attention and awareness. Some people, um, when they tune in, they can see something, you know, in their mind's eye, they can get a vision. So maybe vision and seeing is the way their intuition speaks to you, or maybe some, maybe you just hear things in your head. It could be your own voice or it could be another voice. Um, you might get intuitive hits that way. Or for me, I often just feel something in my body or I just know something. Like, I don't know how I know it. I didn't hear anything and didn't see anything, but I just know something. I don't know how I know it. And so that's another way. Um, well, if you develop your intuition enough, then you can get information from all of those methods. But um, in the book, I, I kind of give examples on how you would just figure out which is your dominant way that the, your intuition speaks to you. And then you sort of just develop that one first. So you can get some you know, feedback and you can start using it right away. And then you can develop your, the other channels. Yeah. I find yeah. it fascinating. I really do. I have to say just in the last 10 days, I have been thinking about my old agent. He wasn't just my agent. He was my friend. We were great friends and, and, and we developed a very close relationship. And I was thinking of him and I thought, I haven't spoken to James in so long. I'll, I'll quickly send him a text. So while I was waiting for the dinner to cook, I cooked, sent him a text. Say, hey, mate. Hope you're well, just thinking of you. Don't know why you popped into my thoughts this week. And he wrote straight back and said, that's because I broke up with my wife a week and a half ago. Oh, wow. And I thought, what? So something, it was just something resonated with me from across the way. I don't know what it was, but um, yeah, I just couldn't believe yeah. that he was in my thoughts. That was intuitive. It was something, it wasn't just me thinking of James. It was me thinking, hey, James is in my thoughts. I ought to reach out. Something's mm -hmm. is resonating with me for a reason, and it was a reason. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was more than just a thought. Uh huh. Yeah, more than just a thought, which takes me to my next question. And you quote Samuel Taylor Coleridge. I love this quote: "The happiness of life is made up of the little charities, of a kiss or smile, a kind look, a heartfelt compliment." How important are random acts of kindness in helping to unplug our robot? Oh, I'm big on that, but I. I love random acts of kindness, but I actually call them more deliberate acts of kindness. Because deliberate ones, they actually require a little bit of front-end planning and then actively looking for ways to be of service. So the random ones, they're great too, but then it's just kind of up to whenever you feel like doing a random act of kindness. So I tend to do this at least once a month. I'll dedicate a whole day to this, the deliberate acts of kindness. And I'll, I'll spend days in advance or even weeks in advance thinking of new things that I might be, that I might want to try as a deliberate act of kindness. And even thinking about an act of kindness increases your own happiness. Mm. And so any act of kindness has sort of a ripple effect because you just thinking about an, an act of kindness, whether or not you even do it, is going to increase your happiness. And that just extends out into your field and whoever you're in contact with, whoever's in your house, is going to feel that energy. And then if you actually act on the act of kindness, the recipient of the act, of course, is benefited and uplifted. Anyone who happens to be nearby and witness the act 
is also uplifted. And then it just carries on to everybody in all of those people's lives. So there's a ripple effect. And it makes you happy. It does. <laughs> I well, I mean, we've all, I mean, for those of us that have been on the Camino, we've experienced that. I mean, for me personally, on the Camino, that was one of the things that stood out the most for me. It was just those random, small, I and mean, it could have been the smallest act of kindness had such great meaning. Because you don't know what you know, you don't know any of these people, and they're from all around the world. You don't speak the language, and, and next thing you know, I mean, someone's doing something, and no matter how small, and you burst into tears. It just like happened to be the right thing at the right time, and and when you were having a bad day or a bad hour or whatever. Um, yeah, so that part of the community really had an impact on me, and it wasn't until after that that I that I decided to make acts of kindness. I mean, it was years later a part of my kind of a consistent part of my life. Yeah. Fabulous. Staying with the Camino, you write in the book about creating a new story and who you are without the old story of your past jobs, previous relationships or current bad habits, who you are without your university degree, your roles or your accolades, labels and circumstances. And as I say, it takes us back to the Camino. So often you're walking with someone or talking with someone and you never get around to asking them what they do for a living. It's just you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, I don't even like the phrase, what you do for a living. So we're obsessed with doing, at least in the Western world. And then what you do for a living would suggest that you have to be productive in order to justify your very existence. So I don't even like the phrase, but... but yeah, it doesn't matter what anyone does for a, li- for a living. It's, I mean, whatever. Yeah, who cares how somebody makes money, which is really what the phrase means. Yeah. How do you make money? Yeah. And what you do for a living, I mean, it doesn't really tell. I mean, people think it does, but it doesn't really tell you anything about the person, about the essence of that person. It tells you how they maybe spend a few, uh, you know, several hours a day or how they spend, you know, what skills they might have, but it doesn't tell you about the person, about the essence of that person. And, and that's the refreshing thing about the Camino. We all just kind of intuitively know that, instinctively know that. And we don't, it doesn't even occur to us to ask, really. What seems more interesting is where you're from and when you, where you started and, you know, how long have you been walking and, 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 and why are you walking? And, you know, what are your, what are your dreams or your plans? Things that we don't talk about in the day to day typically. And, sort of our non-Camino life. I mean, I know personally, I didn't grow up with anyone asking me about my dreams or I didn't talk about that stuff with my friends or family. Or, you know, what, do you, what are your dreams and what do you hope for and what are you excited about? Those are the things we should be talking about. I mean, on or off the Camino. Yeah. Rather, than what hap- what, rather than what happened. I mean, that's the thing with that exercise about your stories is that we're sort of conditioned to talk about what happened and what happened, you know, newspapers, all forms of media. It's not, it's all about what already happened. And most of it's negative because that's what sells the, that's what sells the newspaper. But nobody's talking about what's happening. You know, what are we doing? What are we excited about? You know, what are our, what's our vision, our inspiration, our excitement? What are we creating? Wow, that's a really yeah. For me, thing. that's what it's all about. That's yeah. what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. And really, the Camino is sort of the is sort of what people are doing before those questions come. 
because the Camino for a lot of people is, is kind of coming to peace with it, whatever was, whatever was that got them on the Camino. And then after the Camino is about, it, it's, it's about that new space, that creating the new, whatever that is. Okay, so my last, well, a couple of questions, but my last question about the book is, what now? My robot is unplugged. What now? Is it though? <laughs> oh, um, yeah. The thing is, the robot, it's not one of those things that you can just unplug in one go because there's so many components to it. I'm not suggesting my robot is unplugged by any stretch of okay. the imagination, Karen. I'm simply saying, <laughs> once I finish the book and I've worked my way through it, then my robot yeah. might be. My robot is actually on my back at the moment, like jumping up and down. Like, <laughs> <laughs> slapping me on the face, you know, poking me yeah, in the no, eye. I have like, a little... I have a little toy robot on my desk looking at me going, Mm-mm, there's still work to do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I'm not suggesting I'm unplugged. No way. But, no, I meant for myself, but yeah. Um, yeah. But what now? So when... But it's an ongoing process because, yes, yeah. there's the unplugging is one is kind of one half of the, of the piece of the puzzle. It's one half. The other thing is what are you going to plug into once you've plugged that, yeah. unplugged from that? So it's really about plugging into your to you it's about connecting to your essence and the the you that came in here to this planet to this life without all that stuff that you've added on since and so yeah it's about and that's where sort of the vision and the imagination and the dream and what are you excited about comes in because that's when you you can access you know what what are you here for like what are your gifts to share um what do you feel inspired to do all of those things that's what you connect to. And I think nature is a great way to do that because when you get out of our man-made structures, which we're in an inordinate amount of time, over 90% of our day is spent indoors. It's just not natural. We're meant to be outside in the fresh air and the sunshine. Um, even if you have to take your laptop out there, it's just that one, by getting out of these sort of four walls, automatically you're, you're in a space that's bigger than you and bigger than your problems. And you can see things from a wider and perhaps a higher perspective. You can tap into whatever it is that you want to create or connect with or bring into your life. Yeah, how fantastic. Okay, uh, give us one simple thing we can do today to take us a step closer to unplugging our robot. Hmm. What? Okay, well, a fun exercise that I like to do, and I've done this many times, is just, I like to just start start the day by doing things, mixing things up and doing things in a way that you that you haven't. So just pick a day. It could be a work day, it doesn't matter. But so you get up, or maybe you go to bed on the other side of the bed. Why, why not? Like, why do you always sleep on that side of the bed? Or sleep with your head where your feet are. Do something different. Just mix it up. And the minute you mix things up, you, ne- you automatically become more alive because you're not going through the motions. So try putting on a shirt in a different way. Put the other arm in first. Most of us don't realize that we put the same arm in first every time. So if you pay attention to how you get dressed, because most of us are doing this while we're doing thinking about something else, then it, it becomes quite humorous. So, for example, try to brush your teeth with the other hand. 
I mean, this this one will get you cracking up for sure, because unless you pay attention, unless you're 100 percent present in the moment, you will likely smear. I mean, I would I would almost bet on this. You will likely smear toothpaste across the side of your face because there'll be a second where you just tune out. You start thinking about something else. And next thing you know, you're not present. And there you go with the, <laughs> with the toothpaste. But it's really fun. It's, it's hilarious exercise just to start doing things differently and just ask yourself, oh, wait a minute, why am I doing this? Why do I do this this way? Why do I eat this for breakfast every day? You know, why do I get up at, at, at this time when I could get up at a different time? Why do I drive to work this way? And you may have answers for all of this from your mind. We'll have answers for all this, but just ignore that because there might be a different way that's more fun or that's actually a better way. Because if you've been doing the same thing in the same order for 20 years, likely something has evolved in that time and that may not be the best way anymore. It's just that you're used to it. Wow. I want to finish with the line, Karen, that you wrote in the card that you sent with my copy of the book. You wrote, this is not a Camino book per se, but much of what I've learned about happiness is the direct result of my first Camino more than a decade ago. What a wonderful gift it has been for you, the Camino. Yes, it has. Yeah, it really, I mean, at first, not at first. <laughs> I'll be honest, my life was, it took three or four years after the Camino and I kind of went to hell and back in that period. But after that, pretty much since 2017 or so, six years after my first Camino, when I started going again, and then every year, and then three months at a time. Yeah, it's really that sort of the direction of my work has completely changed, something I never would have anticipated. Well, Karen, I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. The latest book is the third in the Dare to Be Aware series. Congratulations on not only a wonderful book, but a wonderful achievement in making us aware of the possibilities that await. And I look forward to speaking with you again the next book, perhaps. Yes, thank you so much. In the meantime, Buen Camino. Buen Camino, Dan. Thank you. My guest this week was Karen Kaiser. Karen is the founder of Radical Simplicity and the author of the international bestseller, Lighten Your Load. Karen has also written The Camino Books, Your Inner Camino, Your Pocket Guide to Inspiration and Transformation along the Camino de Santiago, And after the Camino, your pocket guide to integrating the Camino de Santiago into your daily life. Her latest book is Unplug Your Robot, The Secret to Lasting Happiness. It's available on Amazon and you can get all the details at karenkaiser.com. It's Karen with an I, -I K-A-R-I-N-K-I-S-E-R.com. A special thank you to my Patreon sponsors who help keep the podcast alive and well. Thank you for your kindness. And thank you all for your company this week and every week. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino.